Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Each episode, I'll bring on some experts, we'll talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Beth Arrett, an association evangelist with over 25 years experience in marketing and member engagement, and I'm so happy you're here. Now let's start the show. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for today's Member Engagement Show podcast. Uh, I have to admit to being super excited about this one because I've been a fan of today's guest for um, a long time, and I can't wait to talk with about his new book. So our guest is Todd Henry. If you don't know him, he's an author. He's an international speaker, consultant, and advisor, and he has four books out, I Empty, The Accidental Creative, Herding Tigers, and the latest one, The Motivation Code. These have been translated into more than a dozen languages, and they all happen to be on my bookshelf and Audible, now that I think about it, but only in English. <laughs> so um, welcome, and thank you so much for taking time to be here today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Um, I was driving, and I was listening to The Motivation Code, and I couldn't help thinking about how it relates to the nature of people who join associations and engage. Could you explain a little bit about The Mo- Motivation Code and how it works? Yeah, so I I came across this research several years ago now, about six years ago. A friend of mine uh, who had been at Gallup for 20 years, had left Gallup several years before and had been kind of uh, in stealth mode. I didn't know exactly what he'd been working on. And uh, he contacted me and said, hey, you need to try this motivation research that I just came across. And so he had been working with a group of people on uh, this M code research, motivation code research. Uh, turns out that the research has been going on for about 50 years. Uh, they'd analyzed over a million achievement stories, uh, conducted over 100,000 interviews over the course of that time. And what they discovered was that there are about, well, not about, there are exactly 27 unique ways that people talk about moments of deep engagement and satisfaction in their work. 27 unique ways that people talk about what drives them, what motivates them, those peak moments. And so I was intrigued. I took the assessment. It completely nailed me, just like you said that it nailed you. And I thought, boy, I've got to get involved with this work in some way. And so over the course of the next several years, uh, we began working on the book that became The Motivation Code, which released in 2020. Fall of 2020 was a perfect time to release a book, as you can imagine, but um, (laughs) released in fall of 2020. And uh, we just had uh, have had phenomenal response to the book and uh, you know sort of like you and like me so many people have said that uh, they've discovered things about themselves that they always suspected but never really have words for yeah. uh, and so that's really pretty much what we've been doing um, your motivation code as we describe it is the combination of your top three to five motivators the top three to five things that drive engagement that drive involvement often uh, you know what is it that activates involvement in some kind of participatory event uh, or an outcome maybe that you're driving toward. Um, So typically we we like to talk about them as activator motivations, the things that get you involved. For example, for me, meet the challenge is my activator motivation. Meaning if you come to me and say, Todd, I don't know if this is possible, but 
I'm already in, right? <laughs> I don't care what comes after. Of course it's possible. What is it? What are we going to do? Um, there are process motivations, which are those motivations that kind of keep you involved, that sustain you over the long period uh, of, of work that you're involved with. And then there are outcome motivations that are the motivations we tend to drive towards. So for me, for example, one of my outcome motivations is make an impact, meaning I want to see my distinct impact on the work in some way. If I don't see my distinct impact on the work, it's not motivating to me. My process motivation is uh, something that we call influence behavior, which means if I see that I'm influencing behavior, people are nodding and smiling and you know interacting with me <laughs> like you are right now. Um, that keeps me involved. Whereas you know, often what I'm driving toward is that impact. I want to see my unique impact. Some people don't care about that. For me, it's very important. And usually the, the challenge is what gets me involved to begin with. When I was looking at some of the other codes and the patterns of people who have them, I would think, okay, that was me when I was younger, but I'm not really like that anymore. So is it possible for them to evolve over time or do they shift or just, do we just learn to suppress some of that? Fortunately, we've been doing this work for a really long time. My partner's much longer than I have, and we've had the ability to test and retest people over the course of time. And what's been discovered is that while you might have some shakeup in your top motivators a little bit, right? So you might have um, uh, maybe your number one becomes your number four and your number two becomes your number six and number six now is your number four, right? Something that was a significant motivator 10 years ago is not likely to drop to the bottom of your list, nor is something that was at the very bottom of the 27 likely to rise to the top. So if, um, for example, B Central was way at the bottom of your list, it's very unlikely B Central is suddenly going to be your number two motivator. Now, the reason for that, and the reason that the assessment is so eerily accurate, you know, we I always say it's a little bit like a magic trick because it kind mm -hmm. of is, is that we are the only story-driven psychometric assessment in existence that we that we know of at least, um, meaning that we start with your story. We ask you to relay three stories of achievement, uh, and then we ask you questions about those stories, which is very different. We're not trying to put you in a box. We're trying to expound upon your uniqueness. There are 17,550 possible combinations of top three motivators. So the idea that you and anyone around you or anybody on your team is going to have the exact same combination of motivators is extremely rare. Unless you're in a company of tens of thousands of people, then you might find someone who has uh, you know the exact same one. But the, the odds are very slim. So unlike most assessments, which typically are like, are you a this or are you a that, right? Are you a... You know, are you a, a Z or are you a Q you know, or whatever? What we're trying to do instead is to show how unique each and every person is because that's really a more accurate description of human dynamics and human psychology than I think what some assessments offer, which is really more about just kind of trying to force people into categories to make them easier to deal with. That's not what we're trying to do. <laughs> It is very different and it's it's unique. And it's, um, again, that's why I resonated so deeply with it. I mean, I've taken, just like you have taken every assessment under the sun. And this one, I found this to be kind of the base layer of all of the other, uh, all of the other assessments that I've taken. So it explains things about some of the other assessments, right? Because it sort of offers a more unique underpinning or sort of shows why, not just what, but why I am a certain way, which is pretty exciting. So for you with Explore being your number one, I'm sure that you ask a lot of questions. <laughs> um, you're, you're probably at Captain Ask a lot in meetings where you're always saying, now, why are we doing this? And what if we tried this? And what if we tried that? And if somebody <laughs> around you is driven by, say, 
bring to completion, which is one of our other motivations. Um, and they're, they just want to get things done. They want to check off boxes and move on to the next thing. I'm sure that there probably would be a little bit of tension, a little bit of conflict in the meeting because you're always saying, well, hold on, wait a minute. There are 13 unique questions we haven't answered yet about this. We need to go explore these and make sure we're on the right page. Right. And they're saying, yeah. what are you talking about? Let's just get it done. Let's move on. It's fine. Let's just go, you know, and each motivation has its positive qualities and and is necessary to an effective functioning team. But also each motivation has its own shadow side. Um, Just like my meet the challenge motivation, the shadow side of the meet the challenge motivation is that if something doesn't feel challenging, I will wait until it feels challenging. So if I have three months to do something and I could easily do it in three months, I'll wait until two and a half months, right? And then I'll start because then it'll start to feel like a challenge to me. I'll procrastinate or I'll invent challenges where they don't exist. For some who's driven to explore sometimes you don't know when to suppress that explore instinct and maybe it's like late in a project's not really the right time to ask a bunch of questions you know we've pretty much already like the cake is pretty much baked at this point we don't want to tear it up and start all over again um so there you know there are shadow side attributes to these motivations as well but um every motivation is a gift and once we learn to understand how to receive one another according to those motivations it changes our collaboration forever and I love that you did go into the shadow sides on that because those are the things that if you, as an explorer, I like to learn things about myself. Um, and one of the things that is nice about it is you can go, okay, these are the things I need to look for. These are the things I need to work on. In reading the book, I kind of think that that's sort of what happens is we learn to suppress it more than we change. Yeah, I think so. But but once you understand that it's it's nothing but a shadow side of a very healthy motivation, it's not unhealthy behavior. It's just you're trying to satisfy motivation in an unhealthy way, perhaps, right? Um, all behaviors, motivated behavior. I don't care what it is. Every, you're getting something out of everything you do. Uh, and so once you understand that, you can begin to say, okay, wait a minute. Now, is this, am I trying to satisfy a motivation in an unhealthy way? For me, am I trying to create a challenge where one doesn't exist? Am I procrastinating in order to make this feel more difficult, right? Or uh, make an impact, right? Am I overexerting myself trying to see impact here? Am I, you know, maybe inserting myself where I'm not welcome because I want to see my impact here? I always tell people if I'm invited to a meeting where I'm supposed to sit in the back and just kind of listen to the meeting within five minutes, I'll have a whiteboard marker in my hand and I'll be drawing on the whiteboard, right? Because that's just the make an impact thing is just mm-hmm. important. It's it's wired, in it. but that's also part of the shadow side, right? Like, listen, it's you don't need to have an impact every single time. You Stay in your lane. Sometimes exactly I'm exactly right. Certain that make an impact is going to be one of the other one or two of mine because I that is very much me in a lot of ways. I try so hard not to take things over or insert myself, but I just can't help it. Well, part of it is explore because I want to make a difference. I want I want to see what it, what's possible. But then I also I like to make my impact. I like to have my hand in things and be able to see and be happy when it's done. It's nice. Talking about that shadow side and how it does sometimes cause problem. Well, even the motivators cause problem. You talked about the fact that you know explore and somebody else just wanting to check things off can cause an issue. As this is a member engagement show, we do tend to focus on how to do that, engage members. And one of the things that struck me when I was listening to the book was I started wondering you know, what codes, what types of people are more likely to join associations and how can we better motivate them? Well, first of all, I think, I think people join associations for all different types mm-hmm. of reasons, right? Um, some people like being around other people who are 
similar, who think similarly to them. They like to collaborate. Um, some people, for some people, it's a, it's a, a sign of excelling. You know, I'm at a place now where I need to be around peers who are also excelling at what they do. Um, there is one motivation that we call make the grade. And make the grade is about wanting to be a part of a team that is seen as elite or sort of different than everyone else. And so for them, membership becomes really important. Um, these are the people who are most likely to become Eagle Scouts. So the people who are most likely to join the elite of the elite teams, right? In, in any organization, they're, they're going to become Navy SEALs and they're not just going to become Navy SEALs, they're going to become like SEAL Team 6, right? Like that's Kind of because, so they like to join and be around other people that signify that they've sort of made the grade in some way. I think more so than looking to specific motivations or motivators, I think it's more important really to kind of understand what motivates people uniquely. So um, one thing that has been really helpful to me in as sort of a quick and dirty way to get to motivation code. Now, obviously the assessment is the most accurate way to really get at what drives people. Um, and we've got, you know, obviously a lot of scientific underpinning and lots of experience and research decades of research has gone into it. Um, but, um, you know, one sort of quick and dirty way to kind of at least get people talking about motivation is just to ask them to think about a moment in their life when they achieve something significant, you know, something that really sticks in their mind. And it should be something that is notable enough that it stays in their mind for a while. It shouldn't be like yesterday I cooked the perfect omelet. Okay, fine. that's fine. Maybe, maybe that's it. But like, let's, you know, think about something that's kind of stayed in your mind for a while. Will you remember that omelet five years from now? Probably not. Maybe, maybe you will. Maybe that, maybe that's something you've been working to master and you finally did it, right? Master is one of our motivators. But, you know, ask people to think about what it was about that moment uh, that was meaningful to them, what specifically they did as part of it, uh, what the outcome was that they were working toward and just get them talking about it. And by getting them talking about it, often you can, you know, get to a place where you start to understand a little more about what it is that drives them and you can speak more to their motivation more uniquely. So for you, for example, I would imagine that your achievements had something to do with you taking risks, trying new things, exploring, asking questions, you know, is that kind of, is that pretty much what you shared on the assessment? You're yes. And so, so if I just got you talking about those stories through asking some questions and just conversation, I probably could at least center in on the fact that one of the learner family motivators is probably one of your top motivators. I don't know which one, maybe it could be comprehend and express, you know, it could be explore, it could be, you know, any, any number of other motivators, but I probably would be able to at least center in on the fact that learning is really important to you, you know, exploring things and asking questions and all of that. And so if I were going to try to talk to you about joining an association, the first thing I would want to do is to get put you in a place where you're asking a lot of questions. I would want to give you a lot of resources, a lot of possible paths, you know, hey, here are some ways that you can get involved. And which of these, you know, um, what, what are you curious about? You know, what are some some things that you really would love to, to know more about? And let's see if we can find a way to, to service those um, areas of curiosity, right? Versus somebody who, let's say, um, somebody who is driven by this master uh, motivator that we were talking about. Instead, for them, I might want to talk to them about a, pres a prescribed path. You know, there is a course with some achievements that you check off along the way, and it's a very prescribed thing. It's going to give you a chance to really perfect your skills. You're going to work on perfecting those skills with other people around you. You know, those are the kinds of conversations I would want to have with, with that person, um, which is why this is really tricky, right? Because, um, yeah. 
that can feel manipulative and it's not really all you're doing is you're trying to help people see themselves as part of the organization. If I'm a manager of a team, you know, it's not manipulative for me to say, you know what, I know you're driven to collaborate. We've had you in the, in a cubicle in the back corner of the office doing, you know, paperwork for the last couple of months. Maybe I should try to find ways of making your work more collaborative. That's not manipulative. That's trying to help people activate their motivations more consistently. And this is kind of a key point. So many people wait for their work or their circumstances to motivate them. Instead, once we discover what motivates us, we can bring it to our work. It's a much more proactive way of thinking about motivation instead of saying, I, I wish I could find a job that motivated me. No, no. Discover what motivates you and then learn how to bring that to your work. That's a totally different way of framing motivation in the workplace. That's funny. Way, way back in the day, um, I read Dale Carnegie's uh, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And he gives an example there of a woman who all she did, if I remember correctly, was type whatever it was, but she was like, it was the most boring job and she just didn't know what to do. And finally one day she was just like, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself. And she basically did what you're just talking about. She found, okay, this isn't motivating me, but excelling and, and competing against even my own time, it motivates me. So that's what I'm going to do. And, that, and that's what it is, right? That yeah. probably that person discovered Excel to be one of their, you know, that sort of self-competition to be one of their top motivators. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. Once you discover that, like, just like me with meet the challenge, I know I have to structure my work as a series of challenges. Now, you know, I wrote a book last summer. I wrote a, a book that was twice as long as any book I've ever written in about a third of the time I've ever taken. And part of that was, you know, the reason I was able to do that is because I said, I know I need to write this many words every single day for this many weeks and take a day off a week, which I did in order to finish this book. And it felt like a challenge. And so I was able to stay engaged and motivated because I was, you know, I had that challenge in front of me. That's what we really need. So speaking just completely hypothetically, if someone was, you know, explore is their number one um, motivator, what would they do if they were trying to write a book and couldn't seem to make themselves sit down and work on it? You know that one of the best things you're going to bring to that process is going to be your curiosity. You're asking a lot of questions. You're really getting into the all the various areas around a particular topic. That's something that's really important when you're writing a book is you want to do great research. And I'm sure that you probably have had no problem doing your research Get for the book. The challenge probably for you is then taking that research and deciding on what is the most important research and then actually doing the work of writing that book. Because you probably, the moment you start writing, think, oh, that makes me think of 10 more questions I should go explore or a bunch of other things I should do, right? So what I would encourage you to do, so explore, develop, and be central are your three um, top motivators, according to your assessment, right? So develop is really interesting because develop is really about developing concepts, developing ideas, developing people often. Um, what I would encourage you to do is to focus in on one specific topic area, one chapter, and develop it like you were developing a person. Really put a lot of effort and interest into developing that into something that is in and of itself uniquely valuable, right? And stay within the confines of that chapter before you move on to another idea or another topic. I'm very different. I write books from the inside out one section at a time because of the way I'm motivated. Okay. So, you know, I'll, I might write a little bit of chapter six today, a little bit of chapter two tomorrow, a little bit of chapter nine the next day. That's kind of the way that I'm wired. For somebody like you, I would say focus on one idea at a time, stay on track, um, have a target, a specific target for that and make certain that you are um, 
make certain that you are putting a lot of your voice into it. I, a lot of I, a lot of your perspective, a lot of your unique um, input because of that be central thing. Don't write abstractly, don't write in theory, but make sure it's you have a point of view that's being expressed in the midst of it. Um, I think that will keep you on track far better than uh, the way a lot of people try to write books, which is more abstractly sort of in layers. I think you just focusing on one topic in one chapter at a time would probably be the best approach for you. I love to, I mean, I asked that just sort of like a little bit selfishly, not, not gonna lie, but I think that that really d demonstrates the underlying issue with people trying to get people to engage in associations because they're trying to be everything to everybody, but with one set of content. Whereas really you need to kind of see what people are doing and what they're acting on. And that kind of gives you, um, I like to talk about digital body language because I think that looking at what people open, what they click on, what they get involved in, mm -hmm. probably more than anything they will ever tell you and more than they probably a lot of times even realize about themselves. And yeah. so I think that looking at that can give you an idea what their motivators are and allow you to give that person the path that they need to succeed, which I love about associations and data when it's used for good. Yeah. And, and I think part of it too, is making sure that you're not just writing things or creating content based upon your motivation. That's what, one of the mistakes we tend to do is, is um, think that everybody else is generally motivated the same way we are. So for me, I like one of the things I've learned with my podcast, which I've been podcasting since 2005, the Axon Creative Podcast, I like to issue challenges to people because that's what motivates me. But some people are like, man, why are you preaching at me all the time? Why are you always like say, saying, do this, do that. Hey, go do this thing. I'm like, you know, that's right. I'm, I'm basically pretending as if everybody's motivated the same way I am, right? And I can't do that. Um, it, it's exhausting to some people. And so for some people, like people who are driven to explore, I just need to leave an open-ended question. Hey, here's a topic you might want to go look at. What do you think about this, right? What would, what would you do if you were in this position? Um, that's a very different thing to do than to say, go out and spend 20 minutes taking a walk and asking these questions and then report back your answers. That's, that's a challenge, right? Um, that I have to be careful about. So I think if you're creating content for potential association members or for association members, just be thinking about, okay, am I writing this through the lens of my motivation or am I keeping, staying open to the idea that other people are differently motivated? What are three things that marketers really need to be doing to succeed in 2022? I think we talked about one. Yeah, I think number one is make sure that you are approaching your marketing through an empathetic lens. So don't just write as if it's you. Um, number two, I think authenticity. I wrote a book called Louder Than Words that really covered five key areas. I'll just kind of very quickly cover them. Um, authenticity, make sure you're putting skin in the game right? People can smell it out if you're not being authentic. Authentic doesn't mean transparency. It means you're putting skin in the game. People need to see that you're, it really costs you something, that you really, you really care about what you're doing. So make sure that it's authentic, that you show that you have skin in the game. Make sure it's unique. Make sure that uh, you have some unique positioning. You're saying things differently. Make sure it's precise. A lot of people market with a lot of fog and a lot of like buzzwords and no, be precise, be very precise because precision forces a decision. 
I, I've never said that before, but it rhymes. I like so that. Say, yeah, precision <laughs> forces decision. Uh, make sure that you're speaking with empathy, as we talked about, and then pay attention to timing, right? Like right now, there's a lot, still a lot of uncertainty. We're coming out of a pandemic. A lot of people are still sort of in this wait and see mode because we really don't know. Um, so just make sure that you're paying attention to the timing of your messaging. Make sure that it's appropriately timed for the circumstances. Thank you again so much for your time today. I said four books and I forgot louder than words. I'm so sorry. Oh, no problem. No, I do great. have it. It's, <laughs> it's soon um, to I'm be six go, anyway. So I, I go I go quickly. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I, I'm going to email you and ask you about the book you just wrote too. I know that uh, people can find you at ToddHenry.com. I highly recommend the books and I also highly recommend subscribing to the Accidental Creative Podcast. It is my number one go-to. And thank you for all the wisdom that you have given me through that through the years. So thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks everybody else for joining us. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the member engagement um, went through Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Association Marketing Pros or AMP, and you can get that link in the episode notes. Thanks. 